Good, let's pray together and ask God to meet us in the scriptures. That's truth, Lord. Thank you. Help us to keep our eyes on on you. And use this morning's message to strengthen us in that. And I pray for your power to be upon us, Lord, that you would destroy uh, lies from the kingdom of darkness and that you would let your truth reign in this place, in our minds, in our hearts. And I pray for your help upon me to be clear and to have the right heart and to be faithful to your word. And we pray that you would do a powerful, deep, meaningful work in each of our hearts through the scriptures this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's go ahead and turn to Psalm 119. Uh, We'll be starting with verse 33, covering verses 33 to 40 this week. And if you need a Bible, please raise your hand. We would like to bring one to you that you can use this morning. Very important that you have a copy of the scriptures in front of you that you can read Look at Psalm 119, 33 through 40. And in the Bibles we're passing out, it's on page 513. Now, while you're turning there, let me just have you imagine a scenario. Let's say that uh, this last week somebody in your home group hurt you. We, we hope that wouldn't happen, but let's say that happened, okay? Somebody in your home group this last week, let's just imagine that they hurt you. Maybe they didn't talk to you at the home group, or maybe they forgot your name, or maybe uh, they didn't ask about the job interview that you asked them to pray about, something. Let's just say that you were at home group this last week, and somebody um, hurt you. Now, you know from reading the scriptures that the path Jesus would want you to walk on is a path of forgiveness, is a path of patience, is a path of bearing with one another. That's the path on which you will have the sweetest, closest fellowship with him. That's why we want to walk on on God's path and in God's ways. You know that. That's That's the path he wants you to walk on because that's where you'll have the closest fellowship with him. But the fact that someone has hurt you kicks in the indwelling sin that still is in all of us even after we've been saved and makes us want to walk the path of bitterness or revenge or bearing a grudge. So what's happening at that moment is we are struggling. We know the path Jesus would want us to walk on. That's the path of closest fellowship with him. But we're struggling because we're wanting something else more than Jesus. We want the pleasures of bitterness more than walking with Jesus, the pleasures of revenge, the pleasures of bearing a grudge more than walking with Jesus Christ. So at that moment, what's going on is that we are struggling with wanting something else more than knowing God in the person of Jesus Christ. And we struggle with that lots of times, right? Every day, maybe numerous times during the day, we will find our hearts moving towards something more. We're we're loving something more. We're trusting something more. We're, We're departing from obedience to the Lord for the sake of something more than the joy of knowing God in the person of Jesus Christ. So here's the question. What do we do at those times? When you see that your heart is starting to desire something else more than knowing God, knowing Jesus Christ, what do we do? And the good news is God tells us what to do in his word. Many passages, and the one we're going to focus on this morning, we're going through Psalm 119. That is, I think, the main point of these next eight verses in Psalm 119, verses 33 through 40. So let's read these verses, 
And as we're reading through them, I want you to ask the question, what do we learn about the author's spiritual condition in these eight verses? I'm having a great time going through Psalm 119. I hope you're enjoying this. This is, this is a little daunting. It's like, wow, what's going on here? And it's poetry, and you all know that. But, but it, I think it's really helpful in these eight verses to start asking, with asking the question, what do we learn about the author's spiritual condition? So verse 33, let's start there. He's praying. And he says, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. Okay, so what is the author's spiritual condition? I I saw two hints, two clues. One is what he says in verse 36. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Okay, so when he asks God, incline my heart to your testimonies, he's asking God, cause me to want to seek you in the word. Cause me to want to open up the scriptures and and pray over the scriptures and study the scriptures so that I can know you more and meet you more deeply and closely. Incline my heart to your word. And the fact that he says, incline my heart to your word more than to selfish gain shows that he's struggling with having his heart more inclined to selfish gain than to meeting God in the scriptures. Do you see that? He is struggling, in other words, with wanting something else, selfish gain, more than he wants the scriptures. Okay, Maybe he'd rather work or hang out with his buddies or watch TV or go to the gym, even though he's had no time with God. Now again, there's nothing wrong with working. Okay, Work heartily as for the Lord, Paul tells us. Nothing wrong with hanging out with your buddies. Nothing wrong with going to the gym, watching TV. That could be fine. But it would be wrong if these kept you from time seeking God. If you've had no time seeking the Lord, there's a problem. And so what the author is struggling with is wanting something, selfish gain, more than he wants seeking the Lord. See the problem? Second hint, verse 37. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Now now think about this. If you ask God, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things, what are your eyes looking at while you're praying? Worthless things, right? Let me say that again. If you say, God, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things, that shows that your eyes are looking at worthless things. You don't want them to, but you are. Do you agree with me on that? Isn't that... If you say, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things, the problem is that you're, you're, you're looking to something else. You're struggling with wanting some worthless thing. Worthless because it's not going to glorify God. It's going to be sin against God. Worthless because it's not going to satisfy your heart. You're, you're wanting some worthless thing more than God. And so you pray, turn my eyes. Maybe he's got his eye on this new car that his neighbor got, or he's, he's looking, or he wants to be looking wrongly at 
at a woman down the street or whatever it might be, but when he's praying, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things, he's struggling because his eyes are wanting to look at worthless things, and so he's desiring something more than God, knowing God in the person of Jesus Christ. So putting those two verses together, what the author is struggling with here is wanting something else. He's struggling because in his heart, he sees it. He's wanting something else more than he's wanting to know God in the person of Jesus Christ. So, what do we do at those times? How do we deal with that? Ask yourself, what do you do at those times when you see that happening? What do you do when you see your heart being drawn towards something else more than Jesus Christ? What do you do? when you find yourself wanting something else more than knowing God in the person of Jesus? What do you do? Let's take a look at what he does. This has been so helpful for me this week. Let's ask this question. What do we need when we struggle with wanting something else more than God? What is the most important thing that we need? Now, you might think the answer is discipline, willpower, Self-control, okay? Just stop wanting revenge against the person in your home group. Just stop thinking about the, the new car your neighbor has. Just stop wanting to nurture a grudge against that person in your home group that met you. We might think the most important thing is willpower or self-control or discipline. Just stop wanting that thing. And many, too many Christians think that's how you live the Christian life. That's not what he asks for here. Look at what he says. There's something he asks God to give him, and he repeats it twice in these eight verses. What he asks God for is life. Give me life. Give me spiritual life. Verse 37. He says, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Verse 40. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. So two times, the author asks God for life, for spiritual life, which shows that he's lacking spiritual life. I need life, which means he's empty. He's not experiencing the presence of God in his heart. He doesn't know the love of God being poured into his heart. He's not experiencing all joy and peace and believing. He's not abounding in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's empty. I need life. Give me life. Give me spiritual life. So passionate about it, he repeats it twice. Now, let me give you an illustration to show you exactly why that's so important. So we've got got a little visual aid here. I hope you find this helpful. See if I can get this all together here. Okay, here you are. All right, this is you. You didn't know that, but now you do. Okay, this is you. This is me. This is my heart. This is your heart. And God created you. Here's why you're here. He created you, just like this cup, so that he, this is God, big, big jug of water here, so that he could give you the joy of knowing him, loving him, glorifying him, worshiping with him, fellowshipping with him, communing with him. That's why God created you. You are here on planet Earth so God and his love can give you the joy of knowing him, worshiping him, beholding him. Okay? That's why you're created problem, though, is that we've all turned our backs on that purpose from God. We've all turned our backs on God, 
and we've moved towards, see this little, this is no longer a communion cup. Okay, this is a little cup full of, of something else you think is going to satisfy you, okay? All right, so it's switch gears here, all right? And so we were created by God to be satisfied in him. We've all turned our backs on God, and we've, in our thirst, in our longing to be filled, we've looked to other things like bearing a grudge against someone else or getting a car just like your neighbor did or lustful thoughts about the woman down the street or whatever it might be, okay? Now, moving away from God in that way is a dishonor against God. It profanes his holy name. God is the infinitely satisfying reality in the universe. He is what everything is about. He's brimming with fullness and love and goodness for you. Everyone who turns to him will be filled. And so when we turn away from God, that is sin against a holy God. And God is just. And because we've all sinned against him, he has to remove his presence from us, okay? And we are going to face judgment from him forever. That's the picture. We've turned away from God. We're guilty before God. He's removed his presence for us because of our sin. And now we face judgment from him forever. But God loves us. He cares about us deeply. And so he sent his own son, Jesus. Here's a cross to picture. And he sent Jesus, fully God, who became a man, And Jesus was on the earth, and the punishment that we deserve was put upon Jesus on the cross, and Jesus was punished in our place. Okay, so, here's Jesus, punished in our place. Someone comes and tells you, here's why you're empty. You were created to know God. God is separated from you because you've sinned against him by turning away from him. But Jesus came and paid for your sins on the cross. And so if you'll trust him, you'll be forgiven for all of your sins. And not just forgiven for all of your sins, he'll change you and he will fill you. And you hear the good news and you say yes. And so you turn to Jesus and trust him. You're forgiven for all your sins. God brings his presence, okay, because now you're forgiven. It's a little complicated here, all right? And then for the first time in your life, you have God pouring his love and joy and peace into your heart. He gives you the Holy Spirit, like someone was sharing earlier this morning. And for the first time, you know what you were created for. The joy of knowing God, worshiping God, trusting God, glorifying God, living for his glory. Okay? Now, there's a problem, though. The problem is that life tends to empty us, right? Difficulties, trials, problems that come our way tend to empty us. Okay? There you are, all right? Thirsty. You're worried. You're stressed. You're disappointed. You're empty. You're looking for joy, looking for life, trying to get a life, okay? You're empty, all right? So the problem at this point, if we would just simply turn to God through Jesus, okay, he would once again pour his life into us. We open up the scriptures. We pray. He would once again pour his life into us. The problem, though, is that our indwelling sin, which we still have, blinds us to the truth of who God is. All right? There we are. So here we are, empty cup, thirsty hearts, and we're looking around for something to satisfy us. Our sin has blinded us to what we have here in God, and so where are we going to look? Here, right? This is what we're going to look to. We're thirsty, We're blind to who God is at that point in time, and so we go here. 
And so that's what's happening whenever you start to want something else more than God. Every single time. You're thirsty, your heart's empty, God's there, he's available, your sin has blinded you to him, and that's why you would be, why on earth would you desire, I mean, let's get real, why on earth would you desire, if you're thirsty, this more than this? Why would you desire this more than this? Why? I do it all the time. You do too. Here's why. It's because at that time, my sin has blinded me. I'm not seeing who God is. All I'm seeing is, I'm thirsty, and here's some water. Okay? So you bear a grudge against that person in your home group. Okay, now let's get real. Are you satisfied? I mean, that's maybe like two millimeters down there, okay? No, you're not. But that's what we tend to do, and that's what's happening whenever we desire something else more than God. We're blind to the living water of who God is. We are thirsty, but we're blind to the living water, so we look to the nearest water source, which is something other than God, which means it's going to be, going to be sin. So what do we do then? Here's the question. Long way there. Here's the question. What do you do when you find that you are desiring something else more than God? Here you are, you're thirsty. You're desiring this more than God because you're thirsty. So what should you do? And what many of us do, and what I did for years in my Christian life, was I just, I'm, I'm, I'm trying really hard not to want that little bit of water there. So my willpower, my discipline, I'm just, I'm just going to stop bearing a grudge against this person. I'm just going to stop wanting a car like my neighbor has. I'm just going to stop these lustful thoughts. I'm going to stop wanting revenge. You're thirsty, you're empty, but you're just trying really hard not to want the water. There's a little bit of water in here. Now what happens when you do that? Because you're thirsty, you can't do that for very long. And you will end up succumbing in some way and moving towards the sin and trying to have that sin satisfy you. And so you think, I'm a terrible Christian. I don't have enough willpower. This is a problem. The problem is you're trying to do the wrong thing. That's not how the psalmist in these eight verses tells us to deal with this problem. So what does he call us to do? Okay, What we should do is not just grit our teeth and endure our thirst and try not to want any of the little satisfactions, the little pleasures that will come through that cup. What we should do is, is to do God's better way, and that is we, we turn to God in the person of Jesus Christ and we ask him for life. Because when you ask God for life, he will give you life. And when he gives you life, if this is who you are, how interested are you going to be in this little bit over here when you can have a constantly replenishing source here? See the problem? When this is your heart, how interested are you going to be in this little bit of pleasure here that's going to dishonor God and is going to make you feel far from God when you have a constantly overflowing source of water here? Make sense? So here's the million dollar question. So, so here's the point. When you find your heart wanting something else more than God, the problem is that you're lacking spiritual life. You're empty. God is a fountain of living water. You're blind to that because of your sin. But that's the solution. And the solution is not just trying really hard not to want this little water over here. The solution is to go to God and to get life. So, how do we then go to God to get life? 
And I just noticed this prayer right through these eight verses here. The author tells us how to do that. So let's just go through these verses. How does the author seek life from God? Six steps in these eight verses. First, he asks God to teach him the word. Verses 33 and 34. Now, I think these two verses are the same request repeated twice with just different words. Same request, different words. Verse 33. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. See, spiritual life comes through the word of God. The Bible is like a, a pipeline to heaven, okay? And you open up the pipeline, and spiritual life comes. If you want to seek spiritual life, you don't close your Bible. If you want to seek spiritual life, you open your Bible and you pray over the scriptures. And as you do that, the Holy Spirit will come and work. Now, here's why this is so important. The reason we need to ask God for understanding is because when we are thirsty and we're looking for these other things, the problem is that sin has blinded us to who God is. Do you understand your sin can blind you to who God is? So you don't really believe Psalm 1611, which says, In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forever. We don't really believe that, because if you believed that, you wouldn't be moving this way. Right? So get this clear. When, when you are wanting something else more than God, when you're struggling because your heart is wanting something else more than knowing God in the person of Jesus, at that moment, you are not understanding God's word. You are blind to what the scriptures teach about God. I mean, you would, you would agree with that verse, but you're not seeing it. You're not feeling it. You're not beholding it. And so what do you need to do? Give me understanding. Teach me your word. And as you pray that prayer, what will God do by the Holy Spirit? Whoosh! That's what he'll do. And you will, oh, I see. So we start by asking God, teach me the word. Give me understanding into the scriptures. And he, by the power of the Holy Spirit, will do that. So start there. Say, God, I'm blind. My sin is blinding me. I'm not seeing you right now. Otherwise, I'd be moving towards you. Forgive me through Jesus. Help me. Open my eyes. Give me understanding. Teach me your word. And as you pray that, he will. Second step. He asks God to change his heart. That's verses 35 through 37. I think it's the same request prayed three different ways. Lead me in the path of your commandments. I'm not there. Lead me there. Lead me back to the path of your commandments. Ride the light and that's where I want to be. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. I'm wanting selfish gain too much. Incline my heart. Make my heart lean more towards your testimonies than to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. My eyes are looking over here. That's worthless. This is worthless compared to you. Turn my eyes so I go back to see you. Now, here's why this is so, so crucial, so important for us to do. You, at these times, can feel such pull towards sin that you think, this heart will never change. I'll never be free from this bitterness. I'll never be free from this desire for revenge. I'll never be free from this jealousy or covetousness or hopelessness, whatever it might be. I'll never be free from this. And the beauty of God's power through Jesus Christ is that when we say, change my heart, incline my heart, turn me from, he will. He will. And the way he does that is by... 
right? Remember, you've, you've asked him, teach me your word, give me understanding, and he will lift that blindness off. And as you behold him in the scriptures, your heart will be drawn. You'll see and you'll behold and you'll feel and you'll connect with who he is and you will be drawn towards him. When he comes and gives you some tastes, oh, ooh, that's, that's good. Oh, yes, that's right, I remember. Remember, you've had this happen to you, right? I remember. I'm, I'm, I'm going back. And, and you're seeking him. And so we start by asking God, teach me your word, and then change my heart. And then third, give me life. He asks God to give him life in his ways. End of verse 37. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. So again, this is how God changes our hearts. Teach me the word, change my heart, give me life, and as we open up God's word, and as we pray over the scriptures, and we behold who Jesus Christ is in the scriptures, we behold God's glory, God's righteousness, God's holiness, God's faithfulness, God's love, God's tenderness, God's power. As you behold who God is, the Holy Spirit enables you to meet him in the scriptures. And you are filled up, and he's giving you life. That's what he does. So don't just rely on, I've, I've got to stop desiring this thing over here. When you're thirsty, you need to get filled up. Now, fourth thing he asks for. Strengthen his, to strengthen his faith in the promises. Verse 38. Confirm to your servant your promises that you may be feared. Okay, I pondered that. What does that mean? What promise is he talking about? And my thought, see if this makes sense to you, is the promise that he will give us life. That he will teach us the word, he will set us free from sin's blinding power, that he will change our hearts, that he will give us life as we, as we seek him. And here's why this is so important. One, I thought of two reasons. One reason this is so important is because when you are being drawn towards sin, that can feel so strong that you can think that God will never be able to change your heart, and yet he promises that he will change your heart. So God, strengthen my faith in your promise. Like Psalm 19, I can think of the exact verse. Uh, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. I mean, I've had times, I'm sure you have too, where my heart felt so far from God and so pulled in wrong directions that it just felt hopeless to me. And yet you open up the word of God and you say, Jesus, help me, meet me, teach me, change my heart, give me life. And the Holy Spirit comes. He pours his Holy Spirit out upon you. And through the scriptures, you see and you behold. And worship starts to rise up. And love for God starts to rise up. And peace starts to come. And fullness starts to come. And life starts to come. And since power is broken, that's how it happens. Now, you can pull your home group in to help you with this. Home group, here's what I'm struggling with. Pray for me. What scriptures would be helpful? Lay hands on me. Pray for me. And they will do that. Group group uh, prayer can be very powerful for this, individual prayer, but God will do it. And so one reason we need to say, God, confirm to me the promise is because when we're being pulled by sin, we can think, God can't change this heart. I mean, pull too strong. I'm too bad. I'm too sinful. Wrong. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Absolutely wrong. His resurrection power, by which he raised Jesus from the dead, is totally powerful enough to change your heart, no matter how powerful you're being pulled towards sin. The second reason we need to ask God to confirm the promise to us. 
Much of the time when we seek him, he quickly meets us and pours his life into us. Much of the time. But some of the time when we're seeking him in great love and wisdom, he waits. He waits. Why would he do that? Great love, great wisdom. There's lots of good things that happen in us as he as he waits and as we're before him waiting. Think about how often in the book of Psalms we're told to wait on the Lord. Okay, we're waiting, we're before him. I need your help. I have nowhere else to go. If you don't change me, I'm undone. Help me. And oh, that's so humbling. So humbling. I can't do anything. Unless you help me, I'm I'm gone. It's so humbling. And then when he works, it's so glorifying to him. You're beautiful. You're faithful. Thank you. And the the life is all the more sweet and precious when there's been some waiting. So sometimes God pours it out immediately. Other times in his wisdom and his love, he waits. And so it's at those times we say, oh, confirm to me the promise. Confirm your word. Strengthen my faith that you will help me. You will help me, Father. Strengthen me to believe that. And he will. He'll keep you strong. He'll keep you pressing in. He'll keep you looking towards him. He'll strengthen your faith in the promise. Those are two reasons why we pray, confirm to your servant your promise. Okay, fifth. He asks God to take away the reproach that he dreads. Verse 39. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Okay, what is this reproach? Uh, There's two main possibilities. Um... The first possibility is he's saying, God, there's people who are scoffing at me and slandering me. Please take, take that reproach from them away. Stop their slandering. Stop their giving me reproach. That's possible, but I don't see any support in the context that that's what he's talking about. I don't see any guys reproaching him in, in these eight verses. The other possibility that I think makes more sense in the context is he's saying, God, don't let me bring reproach upon you by sinning here. Give me life. Teach me your word. Change my heart. Don't let me dishonor you and bring reproach to your holy and glorious name by sinning. So it's another way of asking the same request. Teach me your word. Change my heart. Give me life. Don't let me dishonor you by sinning against you. I think that fits the context better. And then sixth, he again asks God to give him life. Now, why would he ask it again? Verse 40, look how he does that. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. Didn't he already ask for that in verse 37? Why does he ask for it again? Hasn't happened yet. Or it's just happened a little bit and he wants more. See, that's the Christian life. Okay? This is not just all of a sudden everything's fine. And, I mean, there's, there's some waiting before the Lord. There's fighting the fight of faith. Okay? So that's why he asks God again. And again, that is the most important thing, which is why he comes back to that again. Because what's going to break the power of sin, what's going to change your heart, what's going to free you from wanting something else more than God is when God pours his life into you. And then you're going to be home, back with him, satisfied in him, loving him, longing to live for his glory. Okay, now, what questions does that raise from these eight verses? Am I in track with, the, with what the author is saying here? Josie, let's, let's bring a mic up to you. Thanks, Steve. Yes. Yes. 
So it's like, your rules are good, don't. Your rules are so good, I want them, but I'm not doing them. Turn away this reproach and show me the goodness of your rules. Turn away the reproach. Okay. Because I'm sinning. I'm not doing your good rules. Turn away the reproach. Okay, so you're, you're not following God's rules, and then... And then you feel like there's reproach coming from God towards you at that point? Yes. Okay, so you're feeling some, like you've grieved the Holy Spirit. Now, that, that's possible as long as we understand that that can be totally and will be totally addressed in, in, in the cross, right? That the moment you turn back, you'll be assured you are forgiven, right? Through the cross, he's paid for all your sins, past, present, and future. But we can feel that. We've grieved the Holy Spirit. We can feel a distancing of our hearts from the Lord because of sin. Is that what you're referring to? Yes. Okay. Turn away God's reproach, which is a sense of the distancing that we can feel when we've sinned. Okay? Right? As long as we understand that once God saves someone, he will keep you persevering. We can't lose our salvation, right? But there can feel like there's a distancing, there's a grieving of the Holy Spirit. That would, that would fit. Right? Or any other thoughts about that? Thank you, Josie. Paul? Conviction of sin? The, the weight? I was just reading Psalm... I think it was 37 this morning where the, where the psalmist is under conviction from God. And then he turns to God and that conviction lifts and the assurance comes again. So maybe that's the reproach. Good. Thank you, Josie. Thank you, Paul. Other questions or thoughts? Going, going, going. Oh, yes, sir. Yeah, and that's a good thought. And I, I have lots of questions as to what that verse in Psalm 51 means where David says, take not your Holy Spirit from me, right? But, I've, but I totally agree that in the New Testament, right, everyone whom God saves will never have the Holy Spirit taken from them because God will keep that person persevering in the faith. Not perfectly, ups and downs, but he will keep us coming back. He will keep us faithful. And so the reproach that, that he may be struggling with, we do not need to fear that there's a permanent thing. As long as we're turning back to the Lord, that'll assure us, okay, the way we know we've been saved is because we're turning back, we're turning back. But he will keep us, so the Holy Spirit cannot be taken from us. Thank you. What's your name? Mitch. Thanks, Mitch. Okay. Does that make sense? Okay, good questions. What else? Do you agree? Does it make sense to you? I mean, I would guess that, that, that many of us, when we find our heart dr- being drawn towards something that we shouldn't have our heart be drawn towards, we just simply try not to have our heart be drawn towards it. Stop that, right? Don't be jealous. Don't lust. Don't be greedy. Don't be angry. Do you see now how that does not work? That's not Christianity. That's just psychology, which will, will, will end up failing you. Okay, in that sense. There's a place for psychology, okay, but I don't want to paint too broad a picture here, all right? Get what I'm saying? 
The way to have our hearts changed is to turn to God through Jesus Christ. Teach me your word. I'm blind to your word now. The fact that I'm desiring this shows that I'm not seeing you. Help me see you. Change my heart. Give me your life. Don't let me sin here. And as you do that, he will meet you. He will come. Yes, sir. James. Here's a, here's a mic coming for you. I missed the first part of what you were saying. So you have to ask Jesus to take the pain of that thing away from you. Like if somebody's hurt you, there's pain in your heart, right? This is what I'm thinking maybe you're talking about, right? And again, when the Lord... Where did, where did my cup go? Oh, it's right here. When, when the Lord... When the Lord pours his love, I mean, I think we've all experienced this. When the Lord pours his love into our hearts, pain is healed. Isn't it? It's comforted. It's relieved. It's assuaged. A lot of different words we can use. And that's how the Lord takes pain away. That's how he comforts us doesn't mean that the trial is gone, doesn't mean that the sorrow disappears, but, but to have the Lord be there loving you in the trial is precious. And there will be healing that will come to your heart through that. Because here's my, here's my challenge to you, Mercy Hill Church. When you find yourself struggling with wanting something else more than Jesus Christ, and we do struggle with this, okay? Christians struggle with this. The author was there. This is what he was dealing with, and we will deal with this. So when you find yourself dealing with that, don't just try to stop desiring the sinful thing. Ask God for his life. Okay, Pray and say, teach me your word. I'm blind to your word. Change my heart, please, to show me who you are in the word. Give me your life. Confirm to me your promise. Don't let me sin. And again, give me life. And as you do that, Based on the authority of God's word, I tell you, as you do that, he will, in the perfect amount and in the perfect time, he will change your heart, teach you his word, give you his life, satisfy you, and your heart will be changed and sin's pull will be broken. Now, does that mean sin? you'll never feel sin's pull ever again? No, okay? Because life empties us and we'll need to be battling again and again and again. That's the Christian life. When will we never need to battle again? Heaven, glory, bring us home, Lord. Now we battle. Victory is sure. Press on. He's worth it all. All right, let's stand together. Lord, I pray that you would use these eight verses in Psalm 119 to transform the way we've been battling sin in our lives. And that we would not just try to, by our willpower, just sheer discipline, just stop desiring sinful things, but Lord, we would turn to you. And that we would pray, and we'd come to you through Jesus, and know that you're running towards us, because of the cross, because of Jesus' righteousness, you're running towards us with everything we need. And that you will teach us, you will change our hearts, you will give us life. Lord, we praise you that you are so infinitely more satisfying than sin could ever be. Forgive us for how easily we're blinded to that truth. 
pour out even more of your life upon us, I pray. And Lord, I pray for some right now who right now are desiring something else more than you. Lord, that that now they could be praying, now they could receive prayer from us, that today, this afternoon, you would meet them in a powerful way and fill them and satisfy them and comfort them with an outpouring of your Holy Spirit through the Word. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.